Thank you for tuning in to episode 58 of Clipstream. My name is Chad Kenny, and joining me once again via Skype with confidence more deflated than Tom Brady's footballs, it's Andrew Patterson. Oh, you're really pleased with yourself on that one, aren't you? Jim? No, it was so bad. I just already laughing before before he finishes the joke. It was so bad. I couldn't. It was so good. So good, Deflate Gate. So popular right now. An easy target. Uh, more popular than you'll ever be, Andrew. And also more interesting than what's going on in the NBA right now, let's be honest. That's not true at all. I mean, uh, you know, I do want to apologize first and foremost to uh, lo- our loyal listeners for the 28 day hiatus, but, you know, things are going on in our lives. It's just, you know, can't devote every day to the. Eh, eh. Sports. <laughs> Correct. No, but Andrew, you've been working really hard at your new job, and 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 this is the first year of your life that you have not been able to go to more than probably 40, 30, you know, home games in a season. Yeah, yeah, I miss it. What's that I like for you? Miss it. Uh, it's it's not great. Um, I'd like to be going to more games. I'd like I miss going and seeing what's going on on the sidelines, but. You know, I could explain to you the whole history of wine in California uh, in about three minutes. Hey. So that's a plus. Now the perks of your job, and you're an adult now, Andrew. See, I myself am still a kid, so I can sit at home and 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 uh, watch the Clippers while I play my Wii U. You're not a kid. You're a man child. That is so. true. Yes, yeah. I'm like Haley Joel Osment, who looks like he's 15 and he's got a neck beard. That <laughs> would put Andrew Luck to shame. <laughs> Do you think they hang out now that Andrew Luck's season is over? I think and I think Haley Joel Osment is a little too cool to hang out with Andrew Luck. I mean, I I think that what's going to happen in this Entourage movie is that Haley Joel Osment is going to have this like cameo where it's going to be like hilarious that he's like some sort of like coke dealer or badass or something. You know, I hope that that's the truth. It looks yeah, like it. Haley Joel Osment probably like gets a phone call from Andrew Luck in the off season. He's like. Pfft. Why does this architect want to hang out with me? Doesn't he know I'm an actor? Both of their voices scare me anyway, so it's... Yeah, that's true. That's true. Let's uh, talk about... Segu- Perfect segue. Perfect segue. Perfect segue. Um, Andrew, Los Angeles Clippers. What, what, what a 28 days it's been. I mean, look, the, December was a bit dismal for us. Let's, let's call a spade a spade. Uh, the Clippers weren't looking in any sort of uh, playoff caliber shape, any sort of uh, dominant or assertive mode uh, night to night. And this year so far, 28 days into January, we're 9-3. We're and three. And you know who we've lost to in those three games? Eastern Conference teams at home. Like what? Atlanta, Miami, and Cleveland. Those are the three teams we've lost to in, in 2015. And they all came at home. And, I mean, those teams played very, very well. But if those are the only three games that we've, uh, that we've lost, you look at the other games that we've racked up this year, we've, we've fared pretty well in the Western Conference. What have you seen? Absolutely. I mean, the whole thing that we were talking about the last time we talked was that the Clippers need to make up some ground. And this was the time to do it. Um, and they did it. <laughs> there's, there's nothing that you can say went, went poorly. I mean, the Miami loss kind of sticks out. Uh, because of the situation, you know, allowing Hassan Whiteside, uh, who's been killing the rest of the NBA, not just the Clippers. It's true. Um, 
but you know allowing him to come in and kind of have his way and and allow them to get a, a an upset win uh, when they were kind of struggling. Mm-hmm. But aside from that, you know, losses to Atlanta and Cleveland, even though Cleveland's been struggling and has had some turmoil in their locker room, you know, those are two acceptable losses uh, over an 82-game season, I would say. And even though the competition over this span has not been the greatest by any means, you know, I think they can hang their hat on, on a win in Dallas and a win in Portland. Um, those those are two, you know, kind of landmark victories. And then everything else was just kind of games that you're supposed to win. Yeah. So the Clippers rail off their, their best month of the entire season. And all of those talks that, you know, uh, maybe they're, they're not the team that they once were, or there's a lot of, uh, you know, dysfunction in the locker room and, and amongst Doc's, Doc the GM versus Doc the coach. A lot of that has, has been quelled a little bit just because they've been winning games that they're supposed to. And, you know, certainly the second half of the season as we look towards it, it's going to be a tougher task, especially when you think about that they have the Grammy road trip coming off. That's always a bitch, whether or not it's just scheduling or, you know, just fatigue and the overall wear and tear that it takes on a team, mm-hmm. you know, especially at the beginning of the second half and how that translates into how they're going to perform for the rest of the second half. You know, that's looming and and that's a big concern. There's there's some question marks. You know, they answered some of the questions that we had early on, but some of the things are still, you know, kind of rearing their ugly head at the wrong time. Mm-hmm. And and uh, there's nothing we can do, but the best part about it is that, you know, the Clippers do only have 3 losses in the month and that's impressive at this point in the year. Absolutely. And, you know, there was a lot of hubbub uh, early on in the season uh, about us losing to the powers of the Western Conference, if you will. Um, I think that's kind of put a lot of, uh, you know, put a lot of Clippers fans in a bit of, of disarray uh, early on with performances against uh, Golden State, um, you know, Memphis, and, uh, you know, the Spurs. The Spurs. And so that. You know, but Spurs, okay, so here's a really interesting stat that I think that Brian Seaman also pointed out just to kind of quell some of that angst um, ever since the beginning of the season. But um, against the top five teams in the West, or top four even, but I think it's mainly top five, let's say Golden State, uh, Dallas, Houston, and Portland as of right now. The Clippers are five and three against those teams. And that is second best or tied for the best at the time that he gave that stat in the Western Conference. So, although we had a slow start, we've rattled off, as you said, like a very impressive win against Portland in Portland. And, you know, that Dallas game, we won by 20, and that wasn't even uh, an accurate score for how out of reach that game was. There was more garbage time in the second half than competitive play. So, um, so far in January, we've seen them turn a quarter to a certain degree. I think think the Golden State win, uh, if you look at that as like the first point of this like new kind of refreshing uh style of play or, or streak that we've been on the only four losses we've had have been against eastern conference teams at home isn't that ridiculous you throw toronto in that mix so um you know other than that they've been holding their own against western conference teams and not blowing games against denver and phoenix and sacramento um these fringe teams that you know you really need to show up against and just kind of assert yourself early and, and keep yourself in the ball game. Um, and then they beat the Lakers by, they were up by 42 at one point. Um, yeah. You know, so 
they haven't been playing to the level of some of their weaker opponents recently. I mean, we went to that Boston game and it started to get a little iffy. Uh, you know, whether you want to attribute some of that to the second unit not be able to create plays, and um, you know, the, the the Celtics won on a forty to twenty run in the second half when we were there, um, and cut it to three. Yeah, they made it a game. They they cut it to three points, and I think that was kind of a turning point. You know, um, because I think that they were able to to buckle down and get that win, and I think that that was a real eye opener. Yes, for the team. Especially because you know they came out after that, going against Brooklyn, going against the Nets, and they really used that game as a real tune-up, uh, I think, for them. Uh, because we know that Brooklyn is is an aging, depleted kind of roster, and and they just absolutely went at them and and dialed up the pace and got more dunks than they had in probably the past week in that one game, and we're blowing them out oh, to man. the point where the crowd in the Staples Center was actually cheering for Brooklyn to score points in the fourth quarter. <laughs> it was that bad of a blowout. It, you don't want to see a team, uh, no matter what, especially if you're paying to go to this game, uh, you don't want to see a team like Brooklyn down by 40 at halftime. I mean, that's just uh, abominable. Uh, it's, not, it's not good NBA basketball by any means, but um, it's what coming off of the heels of a, of a game against a completely young, undisciplined, and rebuilding Boston Celtics team, it was a good response game after that. To be like, no, no, don't worry. We can handle weaker Eastern Conference teams. We're up by 40 at halftime. Yeah, and they went out and did it, you know, the next game against Phoenix in Phoenix. Yeah. Winning by 20. Yeah. And uh, what, did you th- what did you think of that game? What, what was working for the Clippers and, and what was sort of the weaknesses? I mean, look, uh, for as much, you know, hype around Blake Griffin has sort of uh, been absent since the beginning of the season uh, for his MVP campaign, uh, there is no better passer at his position in the league by a long shot. And it it could be that Blake Griffin is the best passing forward in the NBA uh, I think that's I think that's widely agreed upon. That's not I mean, named LeBron look James, at, I should if say. If you just look at the numbers this year, yeah, I mean, uh, among big men, mm-hmm. I think is is the qualifier, you know, power forwards and centers. He's definitely having a historic season, you know. I mean, you know, top 5 in the past 25 to 30 years uh, in terms of, you know, percentage of assisted upon touches. Mhm. Yeah, and, uh, and, and he's he's right up there, and and he's the primary playmaker for this team when they get into the half court. I would say absolutely, and I think that when you go up against a team um, like Phoenix, um, you definitely have to keep the second unit at bay. That was something that we saw uh, where our guys came in, our first unit held their own. Um, you know, gave gave a lead to the second unit and. Then you find yourself in Isaiah Thomas, Gerald Green territory coming in and, and kind of wreaking havoc offensively. And so that was kind of tough, but the first unit has been so solid. Um, running a solid offense that I've become very used to, the rhythms and the beats that you see. But we did see a great game out of Spencer Hawes. And I'm telling you, that man bun sitting right atop his cranium, uh, if that maybe that's gotten something going for him. Maybe that was it, right? <laughs> just he, all he needed was a hairstyle change. Absolutely. And, and yeah. he's just completely flipped the switch. Oh, absolutely. I think that um, it, you got to look at DeAndre Jordan as well as being the MVP of this ball, ball club. 
um, to a certain degree. Uh, you know, as much as you and I are realists and we, we don't always pull the Homer card when it comes to discussing our players in the greater picture of the NBA in terms of like awards and stuff. I do think that DeAndre Jordan ha is having an all-star season without a doubt. And I don't want to talk about defensive player of the year, but I mean, to say that he's not playing like the second best center or third best center in the Western conference right now would just be a complete lie. I mean, he's outshined Dwight Howard. I mean, Dwight Howard shouldn't make the team. Like, I mean, he hasn't played, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, DeAndre Jordan is a force. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you. The only thing is that when you are playing on the same team as Chris Paul, who's having a great season in his own right and might not even make it, which is just so crazy and speaks to how stacked the West Western Conference is in terms of guards. Uh, Blake has been voted in. You know, DeAndre has definitely put up the numbers by all measures uh, and is a force defensively, somebody that you have to you know, change your kind of game plan around, uh, certainly, in terms of, you know, how you box out on defense, uh, not to allow him to ruin you on the offensive boards. And then also on the defensive end, like, you cannot run the same kind of uh, stuff at the rim with DeAndre around. He definitely deserves it. I don't know that he'll get it uh, just because of the record that the Clippers have. If they had maybe you know, we're maybe sitting at, at second in the conference as opposed to fourth, then they might have gotten uh, more recognition. But yeah, his game has been on point. And then going back to what we were talking about, I mean, I think part of his success has been that he's been scoring more. And I think a lot of that comes directly from the fact that we're seeing Blake a lot more operating in the pinch post. Mm -hmm. And that and highlight right and right at the free throw line. Because a lot of the time he was he was hovering outside of the free throw line, kind of elbow extended, running pick and rolls and just popping all the time. Right. But they made a concerted effort to, to mix that in to the offense. Uh, it's not happening, happening every single time down the court, but they're putting him in different positions. And by putting him at the, at the free throw line and the pinch post especially, that draws other guys over it and that opens up a lot more stuff for DeAndre, whether it's you know, on a lob for an alley-oop or just, you know, drawing another man over from the weak side, get a cutter coming, and then an easy pass to DeAndre when that guy rotates over. Mm -hmm. He's been seeing a lot more offense, and we've been getting him involved a lot more just because of where they put Blake Griffin. Yeah, and that's that's a great point. Um, I, I like to see a lot of things, especially, I think, this Denver game, just because it's so fresh in the memory. You know, you see... Um, about four or five opportunities per game, if not more. And this was something that was evident in the Phoenix game as well, because our bigs just went at them. And, you know, Len is uh, a rim protector and a, a big body, but, you know, he's foul prone. He can't keep up with Blake's agility. Sure. Um, if he gets on a one-on-one -on -one situation with him. And, you know, the Morrises are kind but of... But for a second-year player... Oh, he's great. I mean, his basketball IQ is great. I mean, the European style, you know, with a lot of these guys. They're... I think he's going to be a good player... Yeah. Very, very soon. Oh, and I we, mean, he, we've, we've, he's already decent right now, and, and with his athleticism, like he's only going to get better. That team is looking great for the future. Yeah, definitely. But, um, but yeah, but to finish what I was saying, I, you know, the Morrises are pretty undersized. I, I think they're kind of like undersized threes, kind of. I, I'm uh, un, Oversized threes, kind of like, kind of fours, but they don't have like a banger mentality. 
Right. You know, they stretch the they stretch the floor a little bit. Everyone on so Phoenix basically, does. what you're what you're talking about is the modern NBA floor. Exactly. Um, <laughs> and so you saw it in that game, and you also saw in the Denver game is that Blake. You know, if his guy over rotates uh, on you know when we're swinging around the perimeter, or like they get caught in a pick and roll situation where the big comes over on Chris, and then Blake gets at that you know wherever he is, and maybe in the free throw line extended area, and he starts to go in. You know, he's either like got like a minute, like a split second of like uncontested space to like make a decision on if he's going to drive. Um, and a lot of times, you know, DeAndre's guy will come up on Blake and then DeAndre's open for a lob yep. or Blake is coming baseline extended um, and, you know, is able to kind of maneuver his way around um, whoever's guarding him and whether it be a four or maybe, you know, he's in a mismatched situation. And then he's going to go to the rim and he's the, he's, you know, the greatest threat on the court in terms of um, creating shot opportunities in that area. So the, the other bit, you know, DeAndre's guy again is going to come over and DeAndre has been so good at like boxing out offensively before a shot is even put up, getting himself in position to get a, a dump off and then a quick, you know, up and under. He's been great at making, converting three point opportunities too. I mean, not at the free throw line, but getting to the line in a three point play opportunity. So that's why you've seen his, his numbers go up offensively as well. Yeah. I mean, that speaks to his strength and I, I don't really know about his free throw percentage. Uh <laughs> Hey, in Phoenix, I mean, he made the, four season, in a row. He's still only shooting forty-one percent. But he made so four in a row in Phoenix. You saw Jeff Hornacek go to the the Deca DJ right in the fourth quarter. DeAndre made four in a row, and I think he had made like five of seven at one point. And Brian Seaman was like, "If he makes this next one, five in a row, I'm gonna have to give him my paycheck. My wife's not gonna like it. He missed it, obviously, because you know the announcer jinx." But everyone was really happy to see that. Obviously, it was an anomaly to a certain degree, but. You know, the form looks nice, all right? And he banked a couple. So maybe he should just keep banking them. I just want him to bank every single one, right? Money <laughs> in the bank. I know. If he starts banking every single one of them, you know, I don't know about Hall of Fame, but he could get there. Yes. Averaging 18. I mean, think about how much he gets to the line. That's like seven extra points per game. He could average like 17, 18, and 14. <laughs> With three blocks, he'd be oh. one of the best centers of all time. And you know what? The other thing is, is uh, a funny moment that actually stood out from that uh, Phoenix game is Reggie Bullock, who since uh, we've had a podcast has been traded. Um, Thank God. Yes. R.I.P. I mean, as much as you want to like talk about how that's been a bad deal, when you break it down, maybe Rivers is not as much of an upgrade over farmar in the short term maybe they're exactly the same player i think that's what we're seeing but to give up Bullock, who did not pan out in any type of way does not have any real type of nba level skill maybe he's a decent three-point shooter but that's about it he has minus athleticism and minus defensive ability mm-hmm. <laughs> to give up him and a second round pick for a guy who was a top 10 overall pick and just the potential of that, a guy who's only, you know, 22 years old, uh, who would be a senior at Duke right now and leading that team. Sure. You know, maybe he's, maybe Austin Rivers is not going to pan out and be, you know, a starting type player in the league, but I don't think that's what the Clippers need at this point, no, especially I mean, with Chris Paul. It's like, too early to tell. If he can just tell. be a solid rotation player and play the one slash the two, 
maybe even past the the Crawford era, uh, then that's a that's a decent pickup, especially if you can re-sign him on the low. Andrew, I don't think that uh, having a young point guard who's 22 years old under the tutelage and uh, training of not only his father, who was a world-class point guard in his time, but Chris Paul um, and Sam Cassell, all there uh, helping him out. I, you like the prospects more than Jordan Farmar, who was playing in Turkey two years ago. Like, I, you know, Jordan was fighting to stay in the league, and his whole demeanor made it seem that Jordan didn't want to even be there, really. Um, Austin can get to the paint. You know, he's got this agility that you see in a young guy, and you can understand why he was in uh, the draft position that he was in. Reggie Bullock, he's a, he's a bottom of the first round NBA draft choice that you know the skill set is minimal for like you're looking at a guy like that and you're just like oh you bring him in to be like a three and d guy he couldn't d so he's useless um but i just right. thought, he he had all the size like he was yeah. the right size to do it but he just moving laterally he was just not quick enough he no. could not stay in front of anybody to play defense and frankly he couldn't he was like the only guy on the clippers who couldn't dunk yeah well, Andrew, it was insane. He was like, he was taller than like six other people, and he still couldn't dunk. Andrew, so. we'll never have to talk about him again. I hope so. No, we'll never have to. I, and and you know, is the what I was referring. We know we know now that we're going to be in a playoff series with Phoenix coming up pretty soon, and he's he's going to go off for thirty five. He's going to be the new age Tim gonna, Thomas. No, he's not going to go off for thirty five, but he's going to make a clutch three right from the corner. He's going to be in right uh, new age Tim it. Thomas. Yeah, yeah, but. But I guess the whole point of this whole bringing him up was that, uh, you know, they were in that stretch where they were doing the hack at DJ and, uh, and, and Bullock was about to check in and, and, and Doc looked at him and just went, you better fucking not foul DJ. Right. <laughs> you of all people, no, you cannot do that. It was great. It was well, what great do you moment. think? I mean, do you think that the bench has been playing better overall during this stretch, like since the trade? Um, you know what? In the last two games, um, they haven't been terrible. Uh, that's that. Hey, that's a step up. I mean, Haas has been better. Jamal was fantastic against Denver yesterday. 21 points in the fourth quarter. Might have been more. I have to probably go look at that. No, it was 21. He had zero points in the first half, two in the third, and 21 in the fourth. Um, and, you know... That's great. You you need that from him. Um, you know, a lot of people like what Spencer's been doing. I mean, he's been hitting the three with more consistency, but when he fakes and then starts to drive to the hole, he's actually surprisingly really good at finishing for as lumbering and sort of clumsy as it looks. Um, yeah, he's shown some nice up and unders. I mean, the only thing that I wish from him is that, you know, even if it is early in the shot clock, the Clippers will find him open trailing at the three-point line. And just let it go, mm-hmm. you know. That like, that's the only thing that that is still really holding him back. He's finishing more at the rim. He's playing more actively, you know, on the defensive end and on the offensive end. He's just moving with more purpose, and 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 I think that's an aspect of being healthier. But there's still that kind of mental limitation with him, where he gets an open look at the three point line, and just kind of waits for that that close out defender to come to him so he can do the pump fake and then pass out of it. Right. And I wish that he just put it up more often because it's starting to fall with more regularity. Maybe it's not great on the whole season, 
Um, I think that's a lot to do with how he was playing in the beginning of the season. But he's been shooting it better as of late, and I wish that he'd just take more, you know, when there are open looks yeah, and, and, and not worry about it because the Clippers can play up-tempo even if he's on the floor. To be fair, he has he has been better about that to, um, you know, to a certain degree over the last, um, you know, four or five games. But, you know, like, okay, you know, to be fair, the guy has never scored more than, like, in his career, like, career average-wise, he, he's, like, not even at 10 points per game. So him being, like you know, some sort of guaranteed 15 off the bench is just not, it's not in line with like what we've, what most people would have come to expect of him. But like, you know, in the last, let's, you know, say five games, right. Um, he's in, he's, you know, getting assists. Uh, he's had, you know, three or two blocks in, in a few games and, you know, he's hitting one, three or so, but he's not even hitting 20 minutes. So, you know, for that, for those numbers, I mean, his per his purrs must be pretty good. Like his per thirty sixes must be pretty solid. Um, I like Haas. I think that what a lot of it is also is Big Baby needs to just stay active whenever he's in there. He's been good at getting offensive rebounds. That's that's useful. That's one of those things he's very underrated at. Um, and uh, you know, for his you know figure and stature, he's pretty you know adept and agile. And then you know Austin, I think if he has a stretch where he's going to be able to um, sort of corral that second unit, it could work wonders for him. I mean, we saw what happened with Eric Bledsoe, not saying that those two are even in the same universe athletically, but, um, you know, being able to be an impact guy off the bench and, uh, you know, try to create plays. Look, look the yeah, cl- he, he's, he's got a lot of lateral quickness and where his real strength is is staying in front of guys especially on the dribble as they try to penetrate mm-hmm. he's very very adept at, at at you know knowing where guys are trying to go and getting in front of them and contesting you know kind of floaters in the lane like he's very good at that sure um you know even making guys pass out of that but where i think that you know he still kind of lacks is is just kind of stepping up on shooters and catching up on rotations and i think we've seen you know a lot of these teams you know, in some of the games where the game, the teams have come back from a big lead that the Clippers had and, and made it a game against, mm-hmm. again, uh, have been through the three-pointer. And I think a lot of that has been, you know, not necessarily just to pick out Austin Rivers. It's been other guys as well. But, you know, m- most of the time it's, it's those point guards, you know, whether it's Marcus Thornton for the Celtics or Isaiah Thomas for the Suns, you know, a lot of the smaller guys. Uh, Austin Rivers, you know, Kind of D's them up, expecting them to drive, uh, and doesn't get out there and contest a three. Um, and that's a portion of his game that he really has to improve upon. I mean, the Clippers as a whole have to improve upon that. You can't really hang it on one guy, but that three-point defense that has been, you know, a problem for the Clippers, you know, dating back four years, I would say. Yeah. You know, whether it's late rotations or, or not closing out, that's been a problem, as well as... You know, giving up too many offensive rebounds. There have been times where the Clippers have looked sluggish and just, you know, boxing guys out, allowing, you know, two or three offensive rebounds on given possessions. Like, that should never happen. Uh, yeah. So those are the two areas. Even though it's gotten better over yeah. the past month, yeah, those are the two areas that still, like, kind of poke their nasty head every once in a while. Oh, of course. And, you know, uh, you saw it in the Denver game. Uh, late game situations where Danilo Gallinari... 
and Aaron Aflalo were just loving that left corner, and they were wide open. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you got Jamal, and you got Hito Turkoglu, and you got J.J. Redick kind of on those assignments. And, you know, none of those guys really, you know, scream any sort of defensive consistency on the perimeter to me. You know, they're there, but, you know, is like the closeouts, like, okay, yeah, you were close to the guy because you closed out and you were close to, you know, but if they already are in rhythm, it's over, you know, and, um, uh, you know, so that's, that's obviously just one component to, to why, you know, Doc's been playing Hito more and Hito's been decent. Um, you know, he definitely doesn't lack confidence in shooting the three and it goes in a decent amount. But I mean, when oh, I mean, Hito's been shooting fantastic on the season in his limited minutes. Like whether it's posting up or from three, yeah, like that's basically all he can do. Yeah, old guy point. at AAU, man. Old yeah. guy at AAU, old guy at YMCA. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, um, but you know, but the thing is, is like when you got Gerald Green going up against Hito, like we saw in 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 Phoenix, you know, Gerald's just gonna pull up from twenty seven and just pop it in his eye because he's not afraid of him. And I think there's a sense of like trying to get just, you know, just like in football, it's just like kind of, you know, get your hands up in his pads early before he can even like get in position to shoot a 27 footer, even though like that's even, you know, something you, you, you know, that like you're going up against Phoenix, they're just going to, they're going to launch the ball, you know? So it's just like, I think also being aware of who you're playing, you know? Um, Well, I don't know. I mean that playing too close on three-point shooters especially of the caliber of Gerald Green. Oh, he's just going to blow so by Hito. Driving. Yeah. 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 But, he's just going to blow by him and that's going to put so much stress on your defense cuz then you're completely out of position. You have everybody has to rotate. They're going to find an open 3. Like I'd be more willing to just like give up the open 3 at that point. Yeah. I and, mean, but and, the thing and, is is Hito yeah. doesn't like he doesn't give you anything defensively, really. I mean, He's a body, and um, you know he's his. The IQ is there, but you know you're going up against these second units. With I think that I think that we underestimate how agile and athletically gifted some of these second units are. Uh, you know, for instance, uh, you know Boston when we were at that game, their second unit actually was a better scoring unit than their first. Well, I think that's where we're going to see that the Clippers are going to be deficient especially over the next couple of years because basically they've traded all their picks away. Yeah. You know, all of these guys are, are first-round picks or, you know, some of them early second-round picks um, who, you know, necessarily, you know, aren't ready to crack into an NBA starting five but are certainly very, very good basketball players uh, and who are young and who are athletic and that's why they've been drafted where they've been. And that's going to be a problem for the Clippers going forward, especially over the next two or three years, because uh, they won't have the the ability to draft those players. They're going to have to, you know, bring in, whether it's undrafted rookie free agents or D-League guys, you know, they're still going to be holding out hope for buyouts and, and veteran players to want to come to Los Angeles to play with Doc Rivers and Chris Paul and Blake Griffin and maybe DeAndre Jordan. We'll see what their plans hold with him, but... Mm-hmm. Like they're very severely limited in terms of building through the draft over the next couple of years. Yeah, which is, yeah. Is you know you you have to go all in when you have the talent, and I understand that. But 
it's going to be a tough task, uh, especially you know if Chris Paul shows you know any type of age over the next two years, and just not having first round picks is really really going to cripple this team. Hey man, come on, we took a month off, and you're going to talk about this this nonsense? Come on. Well, no, it just came up because we're talking about how second units are killing us. I know it's no, going to. Conti- this is something that we're going to continue to see. It's going to continue to be a problem. That is true. It was just as much of a problem, though, as it was in December and November. And and I'm telling you, man, I actually think the Austin Rivers deal now, in retrospect, look, you still got a young 22-year-old guy who was a top-10 pick and has some God-given ability to maybe fulfill some potential. You know what I'm saying? Like, Reggie Bullock didn't give you any of that. Chris Douglas Roberts. Essentially, you gave up Jordan Farmer, who was this, uh, you know, biannual exception signee and a second round pick and Chris Douglas Roberts who was just basically a free agent and Reggie Bullock who was your first round that year right. for the top 10 pick that year. Yeah. Like if you look at it that way, then I'm more than happy with that. That's completely fine. That makes sense. Yeah. It's so I'm not mad everybody at it. puts on it, it's when everybody puts on the oh, it's only because he's doing it because it's his son. That it doesn't make sense, but no. When you look at it from a basketball standpoint, and forget about the name, like even if it doesn't pan out, the Clippers need to take this risk with as little as they're giving up in order, you know, yeah. to to make something of this roster because it's currently not enough. Sure, and I and you know I had alluded to it earlier in the podcast, but I mean, if there's, I don't know if there's any team in the NBA that has the case like the capability of, uh, you know, maxing out his potential more than the Los Angeles Clippers with Cassell, with, with his father and, you know, with Chris Paul and, and, you know, let's not forget. And I, I've already made this comparison, but I will say it one more time when Chauncey and Chris were there with Eric Bledsoe, there's no mistake about it. They made that guy cash. Like they, they should, you know, Eric Bledsoe should give about 15% of his ridiculous contract to those two gentlemen um, for just making him a smarter basketball player. And, and, you know, there's no mistake. And and I'm not saying that Austin Rivers is actually even a point guard, really. And that's what's pretty cool, you know. Um, we, we saw our first glimpse of Chris Paul and Austin Rivers on the court at the same time. Um, what, I think it was either in Denver or Phoenix. But that's cool. Like, that's exciting. Like, you, you know, just get stuff like that going. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Who knows? Who knows where you're going to strike gold? It's definitely not going to be on this Grammy road trip, but... <laughs> Why don't we look forward to the Grammy road trip? It's so, that time of year again already, man. This is our third Grammy road trip on Clipstream, man. It has already begun. Clippers face Utah, New Orleans, San Antonio, Bro- then travel east to go to Brooklyn, Cleveland, Toronto, come back west to face Oklahoma City and Dallas. What do you think of that, Chad? Um, well, yeah. I mean, this isn't even the toughest stretch. It's the stretch after that that's going to be the hardest. But, but it but it is a very tough stretch. I mean, just in terms of travel and the way that it goes, you know, from east to west, back to east, and then, you know, back to the west. It, it, it's a taxing trip. By all means. Oh, you know, uh, 
the second half of you this. You know, they have they have two back they have three back to backs in that stretch. And the second half of that trip is brutal. I mean Cleveland, Toronto, OKC, and Dallas is just brutal. Um all games will be televised, which, you know, is probably pretty good for the brand, I would imagine. It's good for the Clippers. It's good yeah. for their motivation. I mean, if they can win two out of the four, I would guess. Right. It's not good if it's not good if they lose every game on national TV. No, I know. And that's that was a concern of mine early on in the season. I feel like the narrative shifted early because they did blow a lot of big games on TV early in the season. And I think that that, and this is maybe superficially, all right, but that shifted the MVP talk immediately. Like it, it made me feel like Blake and Chris are now not going to even be considered for any MVP talk unless they literally win 80% of their remaining games um, or they finish like, I don't know. I, I just, I don't, I think that the fickle media um, is just hop so, you know, like blindly on the Atlanta Warriors train that like there's no one else going to be in the conversation. Um, no, that's completely wrong because... I mean, James Harden is the only other my, person that comes to mind, but... But, but I, that's completely wrong because if you think back to last year, where Atlanta is, that's exactly where the Pacers were. No, that's that's true. I don't think Atlanta... Right? No one's going to win individual awards on Atlanta. Um, they are the consummate def, 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 definition of a great team, like a team, like, and that's fine. Spurs Which is exactly what we were saying about... The Pacers last year at this time. That's true, but I I didn't buy, buy into the Paul George hype. I I understand Steph Curry's you know laser sharp focus this year. He's probably going to be the MVP when it's all said and done. Um, See, you're saying that right now. There's a whole entire half of the season. I hope I'm wrong, and, Andrew. And, and so many people forget everything except for the last like month and a half of the season. Good. Then I hope that all the NBA writers that have a freaking vote. You know, consider how great Blake Griffin is playing right now. Like, how great Chris Paul. But the thing is about, and it is interesting about Blake Griffin. You know, we're so spoiled that we live in an era now where people can nitpick parts of someone's game who is already, you know, head and shoulders above anyone like that's ever had like any sort of. I don't know. Okay, it's it's hard to articulate this, but it's like Blake. You know, we've seen it all. Like. Every part of his game that people say that he needed to work on, he's worked on, and he's been great at it. Now he's in a situation where I hear Mike Smith uh, talking about this yesterday. He's like, he's not Sean Kemp. He's not Carl Malone. These comparisons have been so blown, like far blown out of the window now because Blake has just made his game better all around than any of those comparisons. And it's like he's a whole new player that we've never seen, you know? And yeah. not, not saying that he's already a Hall of Famer, but I'm just saying, like, you know, if he's not in the same top five, uh, you know, conversation at the end of the season, I think that it still has to do with our performance in the beginning of the season, and I think it kind of hurt us. But, you know, that's not me to decide. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think Blake's going to get there in terms of MVP talk. But I do think that what you're going to see is that the Warriors are going to hit a stretch where they go, you know, maybe six and four or five and five uh, over a ten-game stretch, and that's where Harden's going to pick up the ground, just mm-hmm. because the numbers are just so crazy. And if the Warriors don't finish first, um, then Steph Curry is not going to get the MVP. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting. Um, 
I don't know. You were working probably. But... I mean, Clay Thompson is playing out of his mind. And that's right what I was now. about to talk about. Um, you know, I had never seen a response on Twitter to and I, probably anything um, like I did the Clay Thompson thing. Well, the closest was the last time it happened, which was Carmelo's 33. Yeah, I don't even really think that Carmelo is universally liked enough by poop heads at this point. No, but that that blew up Twitter. I mean, that that completely dominated. It was like everybody had to stop what they were doing to watch. Yeah, but it's Carmelo at that moment. Because yeah. He was, he had 33 in the quarter. But see, he even, was absolutely unstoppable. I agree. But you're talking about a very specific niche. I mean, Clay Thompson's thing was national news on like Facebook and and stuff because it's such a juicy highlight. I mean, that reel. just shows how how far we've come in terms of social media since that point. But if you look at how many baskets they scored, it's yeah, it's, the it's same. exact. You know, it's the same. It's, it's just, just that and that's Clay, what I'm saying. Clay made more threes, and that's a, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, it's the it's this Golden State hype machine, and I'm I'm gonna be like an unabashed, you know. Warriors hater. I always have been. I've never, never wavered on this. I, I, I hate Clay Thompson's face. All right, and <laughs> it's I a pretty dumb. It's a pretty dumb looking face. I don't like him. I, I, I think he's that. a. I think he's a dweeb. Um, the goatee does not work. I mean, I like. I, I would like Steph Curry if I was a Warriors fan, but I don't. I don't like Steph Curry because of my allegiances. But they're look the Splash Brothers. They're it's a hype machine, man. It's a Bay Area hype machine. People love the three ball. All right, it's so sexy. Whatever. This is just the day and age we live in. But chicks dig the three ball. That's like the shirt, right? Right. Exactly. And Clay is probably going to make the All Star team just because of that game. Now, I'm not saying that he didn't deserve it, but I mean that's what I'm saying. The hype machine is at work over in Golden State. But I don't think that they're as good as as everyone's saying. And we saw that on Christmas. Like we exposed it. You can say it was just one game, but they could go cold for a very long stretch of time. And it, we, we, you know, there's there's a lot of things that have been that are getting put together right now, you know. Um, uh, Phoenix has been playing very well. Uh, the Thunder kind of finding their groove. The Spurs are at the bottom of the West right now in terms of playoff standing, and they're gonna make a push. They just got Patty Mills back. Uh, Manu and and, Par- and Tony Parker are getting reps now. Uh, you know, there's gonna be competition, man. I, the, I don't- I don't know. I, I don't think you can have anything but love for Clay Thompson. I mean, you know, aside from his face, right <laughs> now, because he's looking like the second coming of Reggie Miller, basically. With the I'd, way he's been playing over like these past ten games, he, he's shooting fifty three percent from the field. Uh, you know, scoring like close to thirty points per game, and just doing it in a way that. Makes it look so freaking easy. I mean, he's the most... Like, throughout January, he's shooting 52% from three. He's the most effortless shooter I've ever seen at his position, for sure. Because even Reggie, like, whenever... You know, like, when Reggie would launch up, like, contested threes? It, it looked like an, like he had to put an extra amount of, like, force into, like, getting some of those shots up, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, like, you know, just the iconic, you know, him stealing it and rushing behind the line and just hoisting it up. It looked like there was a lot of like physical like force and, and effort to like get that ball in. But Clay, it's like the quickest flick of the wrist with that like high release. It's just gorgeous, you know. 
and just so frustrating because every time they shoot, you think it's going in. When you're but going, but at the same time, that's where they're kind of similar, right? Because they don't even have to see the basket before they go into the shooting motion, and it just goes in, right? They can just come off of a screen or you know know where they're going to end up on the floor and not have to look at the basket and just know what the perfect release is going to be. Yeah, and that that's and nobody in the league is better at that right now, especially from the two-guard position. Well, that's where they're similar for than Clay sure. Thompson. Reggie was just like, Reggie was a twig too, by the way. So, I mean, that's, I mean, just the way, he was just such an awkward looking player, but he was just so gifted at scoring. Like, I mean, Reggie was a joy to watch. Don't get me so wrong. So should we, so can we call Clay Thompson the strong man's Reggie Miller at this point? <laughs> strong man's, I, you know, I don't know, man. Uh, I never got to see um, the run TMC guys play in their heyday, but I mean, I heard Richmond was like a an amazing all around score because we're we're kind of discounting Clay's m- like mid range, and he's a fantastic shooter all around. You know, well his mid range is on point as well. I mean, you you see him backing down smaller defenders. You know, we've even seen it in Clipper games when when he gets a smaller guard on him, he will back them down and shoot a turnaround or something like that. Uh, where he has an open look at the basket that yeah. nobody can contest, and, and that's money for him. And that's His why game has just someone grown like, so much. That's why someone like Mitch Richmond comes to mind because it's like one of those guys who's just an all around scorer. I mean, he made it to the Hall of Fame just off that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, Clay, Clay has the potential to be a way better player just because of his defensive worth. And like, now we're just talking about this is turning into a Warriors podcast. <laughs> well, it should be a Warriors podcast. I mean, they're first in the, in the in the conference. It shouldn't be a Warriors podcast, but I mean, we should talk about them because they're world beaters right now. They have the best record in the NBA, uh, and if the Clippers want to succeed, they're gonna have to go through them. Oh, absolutely. No, I'm I'm, t- I'm definitely tipping my hat off to them. I mean, I, I I'm not ever discounting their worth. I'm not delusional. I mean, I'm watching these games since we have league pass. They're fun to watch. I I just I I can't in my soul root for them. Because, I think I know. think it's it's very early to say so, but I think if the Clippers do match up with the Warriors again, really the only chance they're going to have is if Bogut's not in play. Hmm. Uh, oh, because that they they need to take advantage of it, that. It's going to have to be either Bogut or Draymond are going to have to not be in play because I yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's going to have to be one of those two guys. Because I don't think Lee coming back into that starting unit is really going to make a difference. Um, but right. most Bates is also having a career year, though. So they do have depth at that position. So, um, you know, I, I look at the war. I look at a playoff situation and I think about, okay, I'm not really afraid of Portland and Dallas by how we played against them this year. And mm-hmm. Houston, for that matter, as well. Even though they've kind of beefed up a little bit um, with some transactions. So... I'm thinking. So it's just the teams that we're used to playing: Golden State and Memphis. No, no, I'm saying I'm not worried against those guys. So I'm saying, in an ideal situation, you know, you want to get the first round matchup four or five with the Clippers at the four against one of those three teams I mentioned. Then you right. get past them, and then you want to see the Warriors in the second round. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't want to see the Spurs in the second round. You'd rather go through the, war- the Warriors. We beat them last year. The team is not that different. They're just better. They're just like older, you know, and more experienced. Mm-hmm. But they still haven't proven themselves in in the playoffs. They haven't gone past the second round either. We both haven't gone past the second round. We're like yeah. not that far different. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, um, I think I think that that two three four range 
is going to be huge for the Clippers because this year in the playoffs for the Western Conference, any of those lower seeds can can beat one of the upper seeds. Sure. And as long as you're real, like you know, you talk about home field advantage in the playoffs, right? Uh, and home court advantage, like as long as you're in the upper half, anything could happen, really, especially if Oklahoma City makes it. That's why the four five is actually pretty ideal compared to a three six or a two seven. Because it doesn't even matter at that point. But if you know that Golden State is going to be the number one team just by this, you know, tangent and their trajectory, like just and then go for the four, be okay with the four, and then just you want to beat the Warriors early. I don't think I want to see the Warriors in the conference finals because they've already gotten past two rounds and then now they've gotten their mojo, you know? And, and oh that, well also because you'll you'll probably be playing, you know. Either the Spurs or San Antonio at that point. Exactly, and you've already <laughs> and you've already gone through the harder the hardest series already. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like you're going to come off of playing San Antonio in the second round, just like wow, we finally did it. Oh my God, no! Now we've got to go against the Warriors. Um, but um, and and you saw like what the thing that I still think is plaguing the Warriors about them not getting far in the playoffs this far. They can prove me wrong um, this year, but you know we saw it with the Clippers against the the Thunder last year. Although we had a very, you know, uh, quick uh, lead in the series and, and a very commanding lead in Game 5, you know, going to the Western Conference Finals that many times with that core and going to the Finals, they were able to handle late-game situations and high-pressure playoff scenarios just with such confidence, dude. Like, you just... yeah, You can talk about how Chris Paul blew it, but you could talk about how they rose to the occasion. You know, so I think that that's why this year. I'm not even worrying about what what's happened in the past. I don't think you can. No, you can't. But I'm just pointing out as an example. That's why it's going to work in our favor if we can see Golden State early in the playoffs this year. But sure, yeah. Going back to what you're saying about Clay Thompson. Hey, man, you know that I'm a huge proponent for USA and international basketball and competing in the in the off season. Every single guy. Right. We should have seen this coming, right? Dude, every single guy that competed for Team USA this year is having a career year. Right. That's the boost that everybody gets after playing for Team USA, whether it be the World Cup or the Olympics. They always see a boost. And that's why I'm also saying that, like, dude, all these fuckboys that were talking shit about our, you know, FIBA team this off... It's like, dude, are you kidding? Like, the three most, like like logical MVP candidates of this season so far all played for that team. Harden, Curry, and Davis. Like, <laughs> like you know, it's mm-hmm. like, I just, it's one of those things that kind of is detrimental about us being so connected and why like I've kind of taken a step back from looking at Twitter is like, you just have to have your own opinions, I think. You know what I'm saying? Like about this kind of stuff. Because you're going to listen to hoop heads talk and talk and talk and the narrative is going to change every day. You know what I'm saying? Speaking of hoop heads talking and talking and talking, who do you think is going to make the all-star team in the Western Conference as on the reserves? How many guards and how many frontcourt players do you think that's going to be? So five, so seven Well, I on think you're talking about two guards, three frontcourt players. That takes you up to ten, and then you have two wild cards. Okay. So the two guards, I mean, they, you got to put Harden in there. That I doubt. Definitely. Um, well, I mean, is Kobe even going to play? Kobe's not going mean, to play, so question. you're thinking that Harden's... Kobe's not going to play. So right. Harden's probably going to get inserted in that starting lineup. Right. So, I mean, not even with bias. I got to go with 
I gotta go with Clay. Clay. I gotta go Clay with Clay and, be one, and, right? and Chris Paul. Mm-hmm. Clay because of the just the the record just being so impressive. Um, gotta have two guys representing that squad. No problem with that. You gotta but, have. Chris I mean, Paul. you shouldn't you shouldn't have a problem with that because they're first in the Western Conference and have the best record in the NBA. Exactly. Um, I you gotta have Chris Paul. Um, yeah, he's been having a great game, a great year, but I don't know if he's going to make it just because there are so many qualified guards in right. the West. But you also think about the All-Star game, and a very important part of that is this: the second half of that is, is star. Um, and look, if, if I'm a coach, and I don't know how these guys vote, but I know that there's a certain degree of understanding that you know, look, you're looking at Mike Conley, you're looking at Chris Paul. I mean, the numbers support Paul, the his worth to the league, and what it means for Chris Paul to be in an all-star game, um, you know, just for the benefit of the NBA, man. you got to put Chris Paul in over Mike Conley. Um, Lillard is another guy, but other than those guys, I can't make a case for Monte. Really, I mean, not really in my opinion, but... Really? I'd, Why not? Um, I think Dirk's going to get voted in again. By the really? Coaches. He hasn't even been the best player on that team. But I don't know if you can go with anyone on that team. I'm just saying if anyone goes from Dallas, it's going to be Dirk. I don't know. Monte, I, I don't know. I think his attitude just still is just such a, a blemish on his record. Oh, you're a hater. You're I'm a not hater. a hater. I love Monte. You are Dallas. a hater. I'm just saying for the coaches, dude. I, I don't know. Look, if we got three guards and, and Harden's already in the starting lineup, I'm probably going Lillard, Thompson, Paul, right? Yeah. Just from star power, just from... You'd have to. The You'd stats back to. it up. The front court is a lot more complicated, but... Um, so give me three front court players from the West. I mean... Besides for the starters. Do you give it to LaMarcus? I mean... I certainly would. Yeah. Do you represent anyone from San Antonio? I mean, Parker, he's on my fantasy team. The guy has not been playing. He doesn't deserve it at all. So <laughs> He's not a frontcourt player. So I mean, no, I'm saying um, just in general from the Spurs, like, does anyone deserve to be on? Like, does Duncan really deserve, you know? Do you think Durant should be? I, I can't give a vote to Durant just because of how much time he's missed. Okay, but, oh, my I, God, I totally I, forgot about Russell Westbrook. Yeah, I mean, exactly. That's the problem. And I think that's why Chris Paul might not get voted into the play, into the All-Star game. But it's because of Russell Westbrook. Against Russell and Chris. I mean, Russell didn't play like a decent amount of the season, even though he's been Right, but it doesn't matter because he's been unbelievable when he has been playing. Ugh. It's just a logjam. You can use that for one of your wild card spots, though. Yeah. I yeah. think they have to go with four guards on the bench. I think the guards are just on the whole have been better. Because Russell can play the two. I and just think I, th I think you have to put Duncan. I think you just have to. Do you have to put Boogie? See, that's the question. That's really the question. Because no mean, one the, from Phoenix Kings, is going to make it. No Kings, one from Phoenix is going to make it. No, they they won't. I mean, just because they're so guard heavy. And with Memphis, uh, it's like it's you know they got us all in the starting lineup. 
I mean, are those guys more reliant on a team to really uh, honor two players on a team? Dwight's not going to make it, I don't think. I don't think he deserves it. I think it'd be... Right. The, the only guys out of the playoff picture in the Western Conference who deserve a, a playoff berth, aside from Westbrook and Durant and Davis, who are all obviously going to make it, you're looking at Sacramento and Utah in Boogie Cousins and Gordon Hayward. Right. Hayward's not going to make it because the team is too piss poor. Cousins is just such a transcendent. Well, no, they have, they have the same record. But tra- Cousins is such a transcendent player. Um, I, it, every, every coach in the league knows this, dude, because they, they see this guy just being such a difference maker that you got right, a game but can, plan around. Can you, can you actually vote Cousins over Dwight Howard, who's playing on a team who's has the opposite win percentage as the, as the Kings? Well, I mean, how much do you think injuries factor into this, man? Durant has not played a considerable amount of time. He's only been yeah. playing for a month. I don't know. That's why it's going to be so interesting when it comes out on Thursday and to see what the coaches decide, whether it's, it's you know, when their team played that team, uh, whether they take, you know, the whole season into account. But then again, you know, Durant and Westbrook actually came back at the same time. Right. Durant got hurt again for a, for a little bit there. Yeah. It's just weird that the reigning MVP, who has been good when he's been on the court, isn't going to come back. I don't know, man. I mean, obviously the West is... I mean, this is why, you know, Mark Cuban... Yeah, but I think, I think if the fans didn't vote him in, then I think that the, the coaches certainly won't. Well, look, LaMarcus is going to be uh, maybe voted in, and if he can't suit up because of the thumb injury, I, I know he came back and played, even though it was reported that he was going to have... Um, you know, thumb surgery that was going to take him out six to eight weeks. But if LaMarcus does end up having to go and do the surgery just for his longevity, I just can't imagine him trying to play through a thumb injury for the remainder of the season. That seems dangerous, right? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it depends on how he plays. But at the same time, like, if he feels that he's ready to go and and he's still putting up the numbers, then... I don't see any reason why they'd shut him down. Yeah. Uh, well, it's going to be interesting, especially to see. if if it's if it's the type of injury that only takes like six months to heal or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Um. Then why shut him down now when you're sitting pretty in the Western Conference in a year that is so incredibly tough, uh, and he's only going to be playing at like five to ten percent below what he normally would be playing at. Like you need that guy. Uh, otherwise, you're not going to have home court in the playoffs, and you're not going to have a chance. So. Yeah. They need him right now, and, and and he'll deal with it in the playoffs, I guess. I mean, he's already signed his extension, so he's going to be making bank either way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I just think that the, the guards are just a harder case to make for than than, for, than the front court and the forwards. And, uh, you know, hopefully there'll be more guards and forwards on, on, the, uh, on the bench because I, I just think that the guards have dominated the West this year uh, in terms of just – across the board, just the point guards in the NBA in general, just being at such a high caliber. And, and you know what? Congratulations for Kyle Lowry for getting voted in. I mean, that is crazy. That is definitely. crazy. He deserves it. He deserved it last year, and he's seeing the benefits now. The, the fans definitely know it. No Clippers on the on the uh, dunk contest uh, Dude. roster, but J.J. Redick going to compete in the NBA three-point competition. Andrew, 
You already know what I'm all about in this dunk contest this year, bro. It's going to just watch. I'm telling you, man. He's going to become a superstar after this dunk contest. Don't Levine me, just watch. Don't Levine me, just watch, dude. There you go. That's great. Dude, you remember how disappointed we were watching it last year at Busby's? Trust me, dude. You're going to hear a lot of Kenny Smith and, and Irvin Magic Johnson saying, The dunk contest is back. I hope so. I hope so. Dude, Levine I, I is going to do that, some that stuff. Reverse 360 between the legs. He's going to do some stuff. That would be good. Yeah. No, he's going to destroy the internet. Like, I hope he does the, the, hand, the handspring between the legs. I mean, this is going to be a great all-star game. Because we I know think. that he can do that. Yeah. In such a confusing, up and down, and just thrillingly entertaining season, this is going to be a great all-star game. In New York, I just everything is leading up to a great, great all-star game coming up. We'll do an all-star great game jerseys. special. Huh? Great jerseys. Yes. Yes. As we talked about on Jersey Watch last time. Dude, we're going we're gonna to do a... a uh, you know, um, another uh, uh, all-star game preview this year or, or recap. And then next time we talk next week, uh, hopefully uh, <laughs> when uh, we're doing really well on this Grammy road trip, we'll, uh, we'll look forward to the hardest stretch of the season. All right. So should I do uh, California Viticulture in three minutes then or now? Oh, my God. Is this really something that you're doing? <laughs> I know it all, man. I can do it in three minutes. Dude, you can't take 28 days off and then give the the listeners that nonsense, man. They got to well, get comfortable what, with that's you That's what again. I've been doing in the 23 days. I Dude, I tell you all about ca- the history of California wine. I bet you there's some of our listeners right now that are just like, who who are these guys again? Like, what right. is this? Well, they're probably just finishing their bottle of wine right now. Exactly. Yeah. On, on the way to work. Exactly. Or driving home from work. In which case... Open up a bottle of wine. Open up a bottle. I know you got that wine opener in the car. Yeah, that wine key. (laughs) Andrew, uh, is there anything that you want to tell the people uh, before we ride off into the sunset for a week or so? Enjoy the offs. I mean, the all-star break, people. Um, Keep up with us on Twitter, uh, at Clipstream. Email us if you've got any questions. Clipstream at gmail.com. Do yeah. all that good stuff. Open up a nice bottle of wine for yourself. Uh, my recommendation of the week. Uh, maybe a Spanish Rioja. I'd go with that. Oh or my if God. you're looking for value, maybe uh, a Chilean or, or Argentinian, Argentinian uh, Cabernet Sauvignon. If all you're right. more into whites, uh, just just pay top bottle and, and go for Chablis. Let's just do it. Uh, I don't even... All right. Um, Andrew, (laughs) Andrew, we're going to talk to these people before the all-star break. Stop telling them to have a nice all-star break. You were already setting in motion the, the idea that we're not going to be on top of this enough to get another episode. All right. Well, even if we do, then I'll just have more wine suggestions. We're going to talk to them like right after the Super Bowl. I might have, I might have wine suggestions like, like at the beginning of the show. Like, okay. You know what would go really well with this episode of Clipstream? Just like a really, really nice Merceau. Absolutely. <laughs> Wait, hold on. Let me ask you a question. Just last thing I'll ask you. Okay. We got the Super Bowl coming up on Sunday, yeah. right? This is something yeah. that a lot of people get hyped up about. And you know what you think about when you think Super Bowl, right? 
a very right. classic California red, right? Mm-hmm. No, but in all in all seriousness, if you were to pick uh, a wine for a fan of the Seahawks and you were to pick a wine for the fan of the New England Patriots, what would you recommend for each respective uh, fan of that of, of that either team? I'm just here so I don't get fined. Uh, so the Mar- the Marshawn, the 1997 Marshawn Lynch. I'm vintage. here so I don't get fined. Uh, I would recommend the 1997 Marshawn Lynch vintage. I'm All here right. so I don't get fined. All right, great. Well, uh, thank you for tuning in with us and uh, not abandoning us after a month. And uh, check us out on iTunes, uh, SoundCloud, Twitter, Facebook, forward slash Clipstream, two Ps. Got a lot of great stuff coming up in the next few weeks. And uh, hope you're safe. All of our East Coast listeners... Uh, Devin Curry specifically hope you survived that blizzard <laughs> I didn't read anything about it because it doesn't concern me at all I got palm trees in my backyard so we'll talk to you soon and be safe take care bye